Hey lovelies, before we get started, I wanted to remind you of all the different ways you can get your hands on one of my designs. Impact Fashion is a line of size-inclusive, modest clothing available in sizes 2 through 28. I personally design and pattern every single piece in the collection so that it is fitted to perfection and every single piece runs the same. That means that once you know your size, that is your size in every single piece in the collection. Pretty cool, no? You could shop the collection online at impactfashionnyc.com. Shipping is totally free in the U.S. and the return policy is, if I do say so myself, better than Amazon. You have 30 days to make a decision and don't even have to pay return shipping or any sort of annoying restocking fee. Impact Fashion can also be found at the address at American Dream Mall. The address is a curated, modest department store and definitely worth a visit if you are not an online shopping type of person. The American Dream Mall is located right next to the Meadowlands Sports Complex in New Jersey, and to get to the address, you're going to want to park in Lot C, Level 3. Make a left when you walk in, and you'll see the address on your right. I'm always happy to chat, whether that's to answer your sizing questions or just get to know each other better. Find me on Instagram and TikTok at impact.fashion.nyc or on WhatsApp status at 516-953-9391. You can also email me. It's rifky, R-I-V-K-Y, at impactfashionnyc.com. One more thing. In this episode with my guest, Mary Friedman, um, we do touch upon the fact that she has experienced a stillbirth and what that has meant for her and her life going forward. Uh, We don't go into very much detail about her specific experience. We focus mostly on what happens afterwards and how that has led to her founding her organization, Kessler Manuha, which you will hear more about in the back half of this interview. The first half is a really great conversation about women and careers, and we don't get to the whole stillborn topic until about 25 minutes in. So if that's something that you don't think you should be listening to right now, then enjoy the first half and skip the second half. Enjoy the show. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own And on today's show, I sit down with a mom, wife, and actuary to chat about her life and career. She shares how she knew she wanted to be an actuary, how working through the exams has changed her perspective on failure, and we also discuss how her life was upended by a stillbirth and the organization she founded. Mary Friedman is someone who sees the value in working out something she does quite proudly online, which helps other women and girls see the possibility in a career they may have never considered. She's also an action-oriented, focused sort of person. So when her daughter was delivered stillborn, she took the time to heal and then set out to help others. I think the easiest way to sum that up is that I was the oldest of six. Oh. Um, very, very typical oldest. Uh, super, super studious, super serious, um, very responsible. <laughs> Not so adventurous, I would say. Um, played things pretty safe. And yeah, that's basically how I was. Huge rule follower. Like huge rule follower. Are you still that way? <laughs> um, For the most part, probably yes. But my husband's like the opposite. So we balance each other out well. And I've learned to, you know, let things go a little bit and yeah. That's good. That's good to have someone who kind of, you know, is the yin to your yang and everything yeah. that that entails. It's definitely helped me like get out of my shell and 
and push myself in ways that I probably never would have played things pretty safe as a kid. So. Yeah, I, I totally hear that. Yep. Yeah, my husband yeah. and I are actually very opposite in a lot of ways also, except that I'm the crazy one. And he definitely, okay. t- he, he definitely, he's like, Tames girl, you. breathe. Yeah. Breathe. Yeah. You're going to be okay. It's like, okay. I could, yeah. Okay. Fine. Yes. So I, I relate basically. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm curious, you are, you're, you're known as mom, wife actuary, which is such a fun name. And, um, you work in a super corporate job. You are an actuary. Can you explain to people what the heck that is? Cause I don't think I even fully understand what that means. Yeah. I mean, I think I didn't know what it meant till I actually started doing it. Um, but someone actually like broke it down really simple to me. They said that like for jobs, like doctor, lawyer, um, super typical jobs that people actually come in contact with, like people that you see or that you know, you kind of get a feel of what they do. Um, and so for actuary, like you would never run into an actuary. You would never have a need uh, for an actuary in like the real world. And so that's why I feel like it's so removed from people um, that they just have no idea what it is. And uh, I think also the other part is that it's very a, a very technical job and it's like a lot of math. And then even my sister, like when she, she just like, she's like my eyes have glazed over. I didn't hear a word you said after, <laughs> after like math. So, um, but yeah, just to like sum it up super quick, it's like um, a an insurance-based job. Uh, it's like the back end of insurance for everything related to helping the company make money. So in terms of like pricing or paying out claims or, you know, financial planning, things like that specific to the insurance business. Um, That's basically what the actuaries do. And so I work for a vision and dental insurance company right now. So I help them with all their pricing stuff and making money and, um, you know, ha- making a profit and things like that. So the reason it's like complicated is because it's insurance. And if you have insurance or know of insurance, it's, uh, it sucks and it's it complicated. Sucks. It's complicated. It's a lot of legal stuff. So it requires a lot to become an actuary to do the work. Right. And see, so one of the things that you, that I have like, I don't even remember how I stumbled upon you in just like the orthodox Instagram web corner of the internet or whatever it is. Um, but one of the things that you were doing for quite some time, I have to backtrack for a second. Did you know you always wanted to do this? Like you said, nobody interacts with actuaries. How did you even decide, like, I'm going to work for insurance companies? So that's, I feel like this is the only way that people get into the field. And that is kind of why I started my page, because if you don't know an actuary or know someone that knows of people in the actuary field, you wouldn't, you wouldn't stumble across it. You wouldn't, there, I don't think you would know of it uh, just based on like my interactions on Instagram is that people just don't know of it unless they, you know, have seen me. Um, my father actually works on wall street and he, works specifically with stocks related to banks and insurance companies. And as a child, also, I was very math inclined and he would always, you know, I was, I was thought of to be like his prodigy, like, you're going to go into this. You're going to, you know, as I was 
growing up and I was like, I do not want to work in the stock market. It is way too risky. I am like a very safe, safe person. I do not want to do anything where it's like, you know, your salary might be this, but if you do this well, you'll get that. Like, I want to know what I'm doing. I want to be in like a good, safe job. Um, and so, especially like living through, you know, the stock market crash and, and things like that in the early 2000s. So it was, um, so he has, he said to me, you know, I work with insurance companies and I come in contact with actuaries almost every day. Like that might be a good job for you. That's very math. And um, it seems like a good, stable job. A lot of the CFOs of insurance companies are actuaries. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of growth potential. So he really introduced me to that originally. Um, and I kind of expanded into that, uh, like over the years, just doing my research and figuring it out because, you know, just saying you want to be an actuary uh, and actually doing it is two different things, two completely different things. So and doing it is a started big thing. There. Yes. And doing it is, is big and there's a lot of potential to pivot. So if it's, you know, if you start on that path to actually see it through, um, it takes a lot and there is, there are ways to get out where you don't have to like start over. And so um, not to avoid those, but to like, and not overcome, but like to not be drawn into that also takes a lot because those are also can be, you know, they're highly lucrative jobs as well. Um, just from starting off as a base, um, like just a college, you know, college education and fractuarial stuff. So the way that, to my understanding, as someone who watches you, yeah. you basically have to take a ridiculous, you have to do the college stuff. And then you do these, like you start working, but you're not certified yet. And you're taking all of these tests and like on top of your full-time job, you're also studying. What I love is how you track like, okay, I'm studying for this test on this day and I'm taking it then. And, and, you know, like I, I was really upset when you failed one because it was really like, I was like, but we were working so hard on it. I, and I, I know, it sucks. <laughs> yeah. Like how, talk me through, why did you feel like it was important to share that? Why did you feel like it was important to do all that out loud? Because it's hard enough as it is. Yeah. And actually it's so funny because I feel like your first question really like drives all these answers, but I feel like as a kid, being like so studious and a straight A uh, student and even going through college and just, you know, being able to quote unquote, do it all and do it well and, and succeed. And then go into this profession where it's like, you don't, <laughs> you fail. And it's not only, it's not, it's not like, Oh, you're, I'm the only one that's failing. Everyone is top tier in their class. Everyone is top tier in college and they're all failing these tests. And so for me, the first time I failed, obviously devastating, but it was like a little bit of like, you know, you're not perfect, like, and, and that's okay. And that's, that's not what's important. What important is not to pass. I mean, obviously at the end of the day, yes. But when you're studying for these tests, you have to have in mind that you're most probably going to fail. The pass rates are below 40%. So, and these are people that have, like I said, they're straight A's. They've, they've been studying for this for months and months, or they already passed a bunch. I mean, I, the ones that I failed, I've already passed several exams at that point. And it's like, hello, I know what I'm doing. Why am I still <laughs> failing these tests? 
and you know, I failed more than once. And it just kind of reminds you that that's not what's important in life is not to get it perfect to not, and that's not what defines you either, you know? And so I felt like it was important to share because as much as I was like devastated by not passing, I wasn't embarrassed because it's not embarrassing to fail. I don't, I don't find it embarrassing and I don't find it. I don't want others to find it embarrassing to fail. I think what's, what's embarrassing is to fail and, and not pick yourself back up or to fail and to take it in a way that it defines you. And so for me, like I work on not doing that purposely, even though naturally you, you tend to associate those things with failure. Um, and so I felt like sharing would help others and, that's really what pushed me to share. Do you find that failure and I can understand how when you're failing one of these tests with such a low pass rate, that is like, it's already so impressive that you're taking the test to begin with. I can understand how saying like, okay, fine. I didn't pass this time. I'll take it again. I can understand how that would not be so embarrassing. Do you apply that same kind of like ethos of failure itself, not being an embarrassment to other kinds of failure are you just someone in general who's just not embarrassed by that? Yeah, I think I think in general I'm just not well, I never experienced it before then to like no. Do you know what I mean? Like I right. feel like since then, like my school was pretty typical, like in Baltimore, you don't there's no getting into high school. So like, you know, you go to the same schools. I was doing you know, I was doing the same thing. There wasn't anything that I that I did <laughs> fail in till then so for me it was a totally new experience and I and I felt like I had to kind of make up what my natural response would be in those moments like I never and and I remember when I failed because my husband was like shocked <laughs> like everyone was shocked that I failed because how could you fail like that doesn't make sense you don't fail anything and it's just like, um, and obviously as life goes on, you fail in a lot of things. And so, and so you try. And so since that was like my first experience of real, a real failure where you gave something 150% of yourself and you spent hundreds of hours, days, nights, you, you dedicated everything to this. You knew it perfectly. I, I knew it perfectly. I, I knew it. It's just, it doesn't matter. You can still fail these tests. The way that they test you is, is not for people, is not for people, <laughs> for like computers. I don't know. It's not for regular, it's, it's really not, it's hard to explain, but it's like the way that they try to trip people up and make it as difficult as possible. It makes it that no matter how much effort you give, there's no guarantee that you're going to pass. And so yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I hear that. It's honestly yeah. like my, I would just not study, which is like, which is why I'm not an actuary, but like, <laughs> I, if, if that's the, I under, I understand the landscape that you're talking about and it's, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm very much like, a, I will sit and I will do the work and I will, you know, put in the hours and I will get the thing. And then I expect to see and results. And of course, there have been times when that yes. hasn't happened, but usually there's like a path forward. It's like, okay, I Correct. need to do this instead of that. And in your situation, it's just like, I guess we have to start again and just take the test again. Like study yeah, more and take the test usually, again. Usually it's the same material. Usually I've had some times where they switch it up um, during transition periods, which is Ugh. 
uh, annoying, but that also, like, I do try to keep in mind, like, at least when I start again, I'm not starting from square one. So it gives me um, something. And I do feel like, I mean, I, I sound like so cliche, but it's like, it does build character as an actuary to fail the test it really does though and I do feel like it's a part of the it's a part of like the culture of the actuaries that you're gonna fail and it's not a big deal and just keep trying and keep pushing yourself and get through and I've had times where I had a meeting with you know they have like mentors in my company and I was just like I am I think I'm done like I'm just not taking another one I just failed I I, it was my second time taking it already I'm like I can't even imagine doing any more to pass and and I'm and I just I I don't think I'm this is for me and so it's really the people in the industry that kind of create that that environment of like keep going just try it again one more time yes it's annoying yes it's hard but you'll get there eventually um and that's really what pushed me I mean I wasn't behind there's no behind you take things at your own pace but it wasn't like I flew through the test and I just was passing every single one and there are people that are like that I I don't know of them but there are they exist Um, somewhere they exist they're out there but you know they're messing up all our pass rates but (laughs) they um (laughs) <laughs> but you know it's it's like to look back and be like I got here and it took a while and it was hard work but I kept pushing kind of builds you up as a person um in the not also as a, per, a person in general but also as a person doing this type of work um and yeah which is which which I felt like overall it helps obviously looking back it, it helps, but like in the moment it sucks, but like looking back, it helps, but I see why it's kind of created in that way, I guess. Right. You mentioned these mentors that you have, you know, in the companies that you work for. And Mm -hmm. I'm curious, I mean, listen, you, you are a mom as well, and you have a family and, and everything like that. And I don't think because not many women in general, and correct me if I'm wrong, work in, super corporate type jobs um, because they're generally not accommodating. You know, if you, if you do want to have a family, then it's that much harder to do it, you know, let with a job it's hard. And with a really Mm -hmm. inflexible corporate type job, it's that much harder. How has the way that the, like, what has your experience been with that, with that corporate culture and family life and talk me through how you make all of that work. Yeah, it really started in college, honestly. I feel like there's not a lot of women in STEM in general, like all those fields. And so being one of the only women in my college class doing this, um, going to take a test and being one of the only women there, not really knowing so many, like even women in our community um, that that work in corporate, uh, even just growing up, you know, um, already kind of, sets you back to feel like you're the only one, even though I'm not the only one, but you know, you feel that way when you're in it, especially cause it's like me and like two, I, I got married the first semester of college. So like I was the only married person basically in my class. Um, one of the only women of like a handful of women um, doing the actuarial science track. And then to get to my, to get my job position and being, you know, the only woman actuary on my team um, definitely makes you feel like 
I'm doing this alone and, and I don't really know what I'm doing. Um, and especially, you know, even just like having kids in college and navigating all of that, like it's as if it's their first time that someone had a baby in college when you're dealing with the professors and dealing with the classes and it feels isolating and even dealing with, you know, religious things like, like, um, holidays and all things like that. It's just, you feel like you're doing, you're figuring it out for the first time. Like no one has done it before. And I did find with looking for a job that I wanted to hear the words, you know, like family oriented. Mm. Um, and I felt like that was important uh, in terms of like, even just like the hours that you work, like, can I pick my kid up if there's a sick day? Like if my kid is sick and they call me from the school, like how flexible is this, is this job in terms of like a family life? And I think, cause I already had started my family before I got the job. I kind of knew the questions to ask and look for. Um, cause How you know, old, my son already like, was, I was, I was gonna say like, what's, what stages were you at when you started working? Yeah. So I, not the best stage I would say to get into the, into the field, but I was, um, like newly pregnant with my second. So, um, which was another scary thing to have to navigate being like, hi, you just hired me a month ago, but I'm going to go out on leave in a couple months. Um, but I think that like it was because I was in it and I was like, okay, I need to be practical about this. I need to know like that I can take care of my family. I did look for a position that was flexible, family oriented. Um, and that does exist in insurance. I don't know. I'm sure there's other fields that do, but I feel like there are some that don't have so much flexibility. Um, but for insurance specifically, it's extremely flexible. I mean, nothing's an emergency, nothing right. like, you know, any, any email I get past 4 PM does not need to be answered until the next day. Um, another huge thing obviously is your manager. So not only the company culture, which could be amazing, but if your manager is just super strict and on top of you and, um, you know, not a good manager, then that could really affect. So I think I just got like lucky on, honestly, um, I got lucky with my first manager who was just like, if you do your job and you do it well, um, you could do what you want. So, uh, that was also super important. So I think like just knowing, and that's also what I try to, I think like on my page kind of like give over is like, you feel like you can't choose when you're looking for a corporate job, but you could, you can, like, there are ways to look out for those type of jobs that could be not easy to raise a family in, but make things easier for you. What are some things that really you found like practically make things easier for you? What are so some of the things working, that are important? Yeah. So working from home for me personally is like a huge thing. Um, being the one, you know, around when the kids get home and being the one around just in general, um, being even just like the flexibility of working remote uh, is huge, I think, for mothers and is like key. The other thing that I would say is like a good leave, a good maternity leave is huge too, because you don't want to feel like you're running back to work. Um, and so my last pregnancy, I got 16 weeks full pay and that was huge. Um, 
And I feel like you don't really get that out of corporate. And so you kind of, you know, you, those are things to look, those two things I think specifically were very important to me. Um, the rest I think like is hard is more your job itself. So how does your manager manage you? The things that you do, um, things, if you work in areas that don't drain you, but kind of fill you up as a person, like this is something that I want to do. This is something that I'm passionate about. The things that I'm doing every day are not, not that it's not that busy work is whatever, but I'm saying the things I'm doing are things I want to do and that make me make me into ultimately I'm, I'm just like using it as this example like a better mom and a, a better wife um that that to me is key because if I was doing something that did the opposite that would drain me and make me you know at the end of the day you're like okay I'm just done I've just like worked for an eight-hour work day and I'm and I just it took everything out of me I have nothing left to give that to me is and it's so specific to each person but the fact that I found that like is makes a huge difference in raising a family and running a home. I'm, I'm sure you mentioned your last pregnancy, um, which uh, unfortunately ended in a stillbirth. You had a daughter and I'm curious if you're okay talking about it, how, how, like, can can you tell me the story? Like what happens? I'm I'm sure that the pregnancy itself was not straightforward. Maybe it was. I don't know. Um, but when when something like that happens, which upends your entire life, how does that it, it, it does exactly that? It upends your entire life. So what does that mean for, you know, how you function? Yeah. So this was part of part of my career. I have to like start back a little bit, but part of my career path has been that I, you know, I, I, start, I finished college. I got a job. Um, I was working in a position and then I was kind of acquired, I would say by, um, they call it a rotation. So I was rotated into another, um, subsidiary company within the larger insurance company. And so I kind of was like moved out of my first job, like dental and vision. I was moved out. I was working in, um, leaves, uh, insurance and, you know, people that, um, like FMLA, short-term disability, things like that. That was the products we were selling. And I was focused on that for a little, I would say it was probably like a year or two it was during COVID. And while I was there, the previous place I worked at, um, was actually being sold. And as they were leaving the parent company and they were being sold to another company, um, they needed more actuaries. And so they reached out to me, um, one of the people that I had previously worked with and said, would you be interested in coming with us? Um, and we can hire you separately. It's not, you know, it's a totally different, they were able to kind of like poach me, I guess. Um, and so I was at that position where, I received, you know, another, a job offer being in my job. And I was at that point where I had to make a decision. I was probably about four months pregnant. Um, and this new manager who's, uh, my boss now. So she is just, she's, you know, she has a young family. She's an actuary. She understands the struggles. She, 
is beyond a, you know, beyond a regular boss level. She's just extremely kind, understanding. Um, she values me as a person. She values my work. And I felt like above everything else that I was doing, that, that was to me in that moment, most important. And so I made the switch um, to, to my old company, but a new boss, um, someone who I really respected and respected me and wanted me. She wasn't sitting with a stack of resumes, um, you know, this and that, whatever. She just wanted me. She was focused on me. She would do any, you know, she was giving me whatever I wanted. And I felt like that was just, super important and it was another time in my life where I was being hired while already pregnant um and so I felt like okay I can you know I can muster the courage to tell her that I'm pregnant and and I told her and her also I feel like the response is just like so important she was like so happy so overjoyed not like oh gosh I just hired someone and now she's going out on leave um so supportive um, you know, so excited for my family, so excited for me. Like it was as if telling like a cousin, um, you know, like that excitement of just like, not just like, oh, so nice, but like, you know, really I felt her excitement. And so making that switch made all the difference when, and I feel like just in general in life, because I did have other situations where, you know, life gets harder and your job can't be your full focus. And especially in corporate where they're just, most jobs I feel like expected to be like your number one, you know, is your job. And that's like a little bit the mentality um, to kind of have people that you're reporting to. So they're in charge of you, but to understand that that's not how life works. You know, it's not, your job is not, most of the time it's not gonna be your number one, especially as a mom, especially as someone growing your family um and so when even just when I went to the hospital and my husband told my boss you know she was just she just her response was just everything that I that I needed in that moment and it was just you know we will take care of you you do everything at your own pace um you know you don't need I, I will I will stand by you through this whatever you need whatever that means and that that really is what supported me it wasn't you know the job it wasn't the company that i worked for it was the person i was working with and i didn't know that obviously at five months pregnant that that's what i would need but it's what really brought me through and um you know i got my full leave i don't know if that's typical for everyone but i i because you know there's no taking care of a baby and so i wasn't sure if they would say to me you know you got you have to come back after you heal um but they gave me the full 16 weeks and yeah she just really even just coming back you know like if you don't want to be on meetings if you don't want to um whatever whatever i wanted to do whatever my comfort level was that's what she uh, provided and that's what got me through in the, during that time in this job. What was your comfort level? How how did you what? transition back? Yeah, so she gave me like a a big project kind of that was and it was really nice of her. So it wasn't like a hands on day to day, which is a little bit what I do now, where I'm working with the sales team, working with this team, you know, like in communication, answering emails. It was more like, hey, we need to figure this out. Um, it'll probably be like a couple weeks of like digging and going through a lot of Excel files and a lot of little numbers and a lot of processing information. Um, 
And so it doesn't require like a lot of meetings. It didn't require a lot of, you know, interaction with others. And so that for me, and I, and she wanted me to like take the lead a little bit to get back into things. And so I started with that project and then slowly, you know, re, slowly, slowly would, re, I wouldn't even say reach out, but like start doing tasks that require interaction. And that is where, you know, that's where I struggled the most because some days I was okay to interact and some days I wasn't. And so to just not have the pressure to ever need to interact was what I needed at that time. But I slowly got back into it. Um, you know, being able to just kind of be on, I guess the word is when you're at work. Right. It sounds like you got really lucky, but like if she had been hardball about it, then oh yeah, it wouldn't yeah. have worked. No, no. I mean, it, it would, I, I would have done what I had to do to keep my job, but, um, and, you know, I always had that in mind, like, I'll, I'll do what I have to do to keep my job. I'm not, I didn't plan on quitting or, um, but the fact that I, that it, it didn't regress my recovery by my work because I did feel like there was this sense of like, I'm, I'm nervous to go back because it's going to set me back in my healing and in my focus on my family. And my, I, I was nervous about that. And so for me, that was like, more important, more important than, than even just like my own, than going over my comfort level was the fact that I would be able, that I wouldn't be set back from it. And so right. when you say healing, yeah, do I you do, mean physically or just from recovering from the loss? Um, it's like, it's, it's the healing is like, it's, it's ongoing and it's like an everyday thing. And so there are certain things that set me back and certain things that push me forward. Uh, this is like, obviously more of like a mental than a physical, uh, the physical, you know, is a couple weeks, but you know, this is like more of like an emotional and a mental healing. It just, everything contributes to it. Everything. It could be little things, big things, whatever it is. Um, and so I was, ner I didn't want, my job to contribute negatively to it because you know I'm working so hard to like cultivate my life to be something that's in the healing path and so that would the fact that it just not even that it was neutral but that it helped in my healing um especially I, I mean obviously some distractions are better than others but this was a good it ended up being a good distraction um, for my day from like to fill my days and things like that. So, you know, I didn't want it to be anything negative and, and yeah, it really, it didn't, I guess. And I was nervous about that. Right. I'm, I'm sure. I, back. Yeah. I, I can't yeah. imagine that like thinking about work in that context is anything less than super stressful. One of the things that, um, that you've done, uh, since is that you founded this organization called Kesser Manucha. Um, tell me, tell me why that felt important to do, uh, and let everyone know what Kesser Manucha does. Yeah. So Kesser Manucha is the organization that my husband and I started, um, after we had our daughter and she passed away and it, um, it really just felt like something that I, I just came about like so naturally. I just felt like I had to do something. Um, and I've always had, I feel like 
always, always, like in the back of my head, I always wanted to do something. Um, it's just hard to find like that thing to do, I guess. And this just felt so natural. It was like, um, you know, all I had on hand in the hospital was a, a baby swaddle set. And I was like, I want people to have that no matter what situation they're in. You know, the hospital sets are, I mean, not even the set, just like that blanket is just, if that's all you have to wrap your baby in, um, whether you're having a healthy baby or, or not, um, and whatever situation you're in, whether this is your first child or your 10th child, or, um, you know, you have a lot of money or you don't have a lot of money or your family's around or it's not, whatever your situation is just to have something fresh and new to wrap your baby in. For me, it made all the difference. And I felt like that that was something that drove the start of Kessler Manucha, where we provide baby swaddle sets um, to to babies, any anyone and everyone. It's free. Um, it's we're located in the Baltimore area, so that's where I can drop off, and um, we have it fully stocked in the speaker colon rooms in the hospitals here, so people can go pick up. Um, and that was kind of like the beginning. Um, and we're we're working on expanding. We did um, a CPR course in honor of her first birthday with another local organization here um, for parents. And so like really I would say the focus of the organization is shifting into supporting parents. Um, and so, you know, we're working on different initiatives to continue. Um, but obviously, you know, it starts with the baby swaddle sets and that's, that's kind of where like the, the core of the organization is. Where did that first swaddle set that you had in the hospital come from? It was just, it was just something that I ordered on Amazon. I don't really prepare um, so much before, you know, I get like a car seat and that's about it. And I have a boy and a girl. So I felt like, you know, I had all the, I didn't feel like I had to restock on clothing, but I was like, you know, it'd be nice to just have something fresh just in my hospital bag. Um, and I knew what I was having. So I was able to order a girl set. Um, and I just kept it in my hospital bag. Probably I'm, if you can't tell by now, like I'm super, I'm like more on the organized side. So I would say that like, I, you know, I had it well in advance. Um, and just like, it was just sitting in my bag. Like, I don't even think I remembered that I had seen it on Amazon or something that I just liked. I just, you know, click order, just something new and fresh. Wasn't planning on ordering anything else. So I was like, just something to have in the hospital. Um, and it was sitting in the bag and, and I just happened to have had it. So yeah, when you, where it came from. Feel free not to answer this. I'm just curious mm -hmm. if when you, when you ordered it, did you know that like, did you know that you're, that you were going to be having a stillborn or was that a surprise? No. So I, the, the pregnancy, thank God was a very healthy pregnancy. Um, and everything was going well. It was just, uh, as the doctors say, it was just like a fluke situation that just happened, um, at full term. So, um, it wasn't related. It wasn't anything health related or anything like that. It just, it was just something random. And so, I had, yeah, I was not prepared to say the least, but, um, I always, I guess I'm like just a mentally prepared type of person. And so, um, but I also believe that, you know, God does look out and, and shows himself in certain ways. And so th that felt like one of those moments, um, 
having that set with me. And now uh, anyone else who needs it in any kind of situation in the Baltimore area can can benefit from that. Um, if somebody wants to learn more about Kessler Manuha or donate or, you know, request a swaddle set or anything, where can they go? KesslerManuha.org. And we have uh, an Instagram page, Kessler Manuha. So both are good um, places to either contact me or see what it's about um, or to get a swaddle set um, and to look up the other initiatives that we're working on for the community. And I'm going to link all of that in the show notes so that it is easily accessible. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today, Mary. I really, I really appreciate it. I, I want to end off with what I ask everyone who comes on the show. Uh, and that is to you, Mary Friedman, what does it mean to make an impact? Um, to make an impact, I think it changes for me all the time. But in the broad scope of things, it's really just in my immediate like that my focus is in my immediate, in my family and my friends and my people. Um, and through that and through their encouragement and making an impact with them um, or, you know, to them is is how I make my impact everywhere else. I love that. Thank you so much for coming on again today, Mary. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Becky. So nice to see you. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Mary and Kessler Manuha, the links are in the show notes. On the last episode, I spoke to Sarif Kukon and Brock Grossinger about the Dress Me store at Links. Listen to it wherever you're hearing this one. The Be Impactful podcast is a project of Impact Fashion, the clothing line I created because I believe that we are all deserving of the beautiful things life has to offer. See my modest designs that are available in sizes 2 through 28 by going to impactfashionnyc.com. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art. There are currently 19 people listed by Ora Agunot as a recalcitrant party. View their names, photos, locations, and details of their cases by visiting getora.org slash recalcitrant-parties. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses. Original music composed by Nissan Fatman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Itzquitz. Catch me on all the socials, including TikTok, at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together.